Hello, my name is Curtis Merriweather Jr. You are listening to the Business Theologist Podcast. This podcast is for new and seasoned business professionals looking to uncover knowledge gems. This podcast is unlike other business podcasts because we endeavor to create a synergistic relationship between business, management, scholarship, and theology. In addition to being an executive leader, I am also a doctoral candidate. The insights shared on this podcast will give you an edge over the competition. Whether you're an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, or executive leader, or someone looking to change careers, I invite you to travel along this learning journey with me. Buckle up and let's get ready for the ride. Let's go. Welcome, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the latest installment of the Business Theologist podcast. Hope you're having a great week so far. We have an excellent treat for you today. Our special guest today is Dr. Ted London. Ted is a senior research fellow at the William Davison Institute and a member of the faculty at the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business. He is an internationally recognized expert on the intersection of business strategy and poverty alleviation. Ted focuses his research on developing enterprise strategies for the base of the pyramid, also called the BOP, um, builds cross-sector collaborations, and assessing poverty reduction outcomes. He has published extensively with a focus on creating new knowledge with important, actionable outcomes. He serves on several advisory boards and shares his research in venues across the globe. He has also advised dozens of leadership teams in the corporate, nonprofit, and development sectors on designing sustainable and scalable base of the pyramid enterprises. Prior to coming to the University of Michigan, London was the faculty at the University of North Carolina, where he also received his Ph.D. in strategic management. He has held senior management positions in the private, nonprofit, and development sectors in Africa, Asia, and the U.S. Now, Ted has authored a couple books. Um, couple, one of them that I've read is The Base of the Pyramid Promise, Building Businesses with Impact and Scale, and he has another book, which he's co-authored with Stuart Hart, called Next Generation Business Strategies for the Base of the Pyramid, New Approaches for Building Mutual Value. Put your hands together and welcome to the platform, Ted London. Today we have a special guest, Mr. Ted London. He is the Ford Motor Company Clinical Professor and Area Chair of Business Administration at the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business and Senior Research Fellow at the William Davidson Institute. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ted. How are you doing today? Curtis, I'm delighted to be here, and uh, thank you for inviting me. Uh, I'm doing well. Awesome. I am glad to hear that. Ted, we have an interesting topic. You know, I got the opportunity to read your book 
in the first year of my doctoral program, second semester, um, in a sustainability class. It was an amazing read. And today, I just want to introduce our audience to your work. Terrific. So I, I got some folks who may or may not know who you are. So who is Ted London? Yeah, good question. Uh, <laughs> I um, I could a little bit my background, perhaps it, um, I was originally uh, an engineer uh, out of Lehigh, a mechanical engineer who worked for General Motors uh, and enjoyed the engineering, but found that I wanted to think maybe more about business issues. So got an MBA um, at the Drucker Center in California, went into consulting with Deloitte um, and decided uh, as I was doing uh, business valuation consulting that, again, really interesting, but not where I wanted to spend my, my career and ended up going in the Peace Corps um, in 1989 uh, to Malawi and spent two years uh, co-running a regional small business development program. Um, and that sort of was the beginning of my real interest in connecting business and social impact. How can we use the business, the power of business to address social issues? I then was uh, in Indonesia and, and was the general manager for a, a spice factory for McCormick. And then uh, among other things, I worked for Conservation International as their enterprise, director of enterprise development in Asia Pacific and in Papua New Guinea, Indi Indonesia, Solomon Islands. Um, really thinking a lot about, again, the role of business, but this with a specific environmental perspective. How can we create businesses that encourage people to protect their environment, like ecotourism, for example? Um, and, and then from there, and there were a couple other stops along the way, but I, I thought it would be great to be able to really think not just about one enterprise, but about multiple enterprises. And I really enjoy the opportunity to, to, to teach as well and end up um, going to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill to get my PhD uh, in strategy and came to Michigan um, 15, came to Michigan in 2005. So 15 years now I've been here um, with a real focus on what we'll talk about, which is, which is the base of the pyramid. Wow. You, you just teed up the, the next question. So what is the base of the pyramid? Yeah. So it's the base of the pyramid is, or, and I think maybe as we go through this uh, conversation, we may refer to the acronym BOP or base of the pyramid. It's, it's a pretty um, broad and, and um, blunt uh, way of saying uh, we need to begin to think about uh, maybe some different segments of the world's population based on income. And it's simply a, a way of saying the base of the pyramid is uh, individuals that earn less than $3,000 a day. So about $8 a day. And, you know, depending on, and there's, there's no exact uh, uh, compilation, but somewhere between four and 5 billion people fall into that category. And that's, you know, well more than half of humanity. And historically, this group of impoverished individuals were sort of thought of as it's, you know, these are individuals and their needs that need to be addressed by government or maybe nonprofit. And wasn't really thought of as, 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 a, as a business opportunity. Although it's the majority of the world, it's, you know, they do have relatively low uh, individual uh, purchasing power. So the idea was, no, they, they're not, they're not uh, gonna be um, either uh, consumers or producers at any scale that would be of real interest to any businesses. So 
let's just think about them um, from a development perspective and, and try and alleviate their poverty through uh, grants. And the idea around base of the pyramid or this perspective on base of the pyramid is that can we build businesses that actually can be profitable at some level? We, you know, we can talk about what the right amount of profit would be, but also uh, alleviate poverty and have an impact on the ground. And the difference also is, and when I worked in Malawi, I worked with local small businesses, right? And they're locally small and they tend to serve local markets. And those are terrific. Um, but they, they, they struggle to scale and they face some limitations. So base of the pyramid is, is thinking about can non-local businesses also serve these markets and provide maybe better or different kinds of value to, to consumers or, or work more effectively with producers. Um, and that's the real logic behind this is um, can we build businesses that actually have a net positive impact on the base of the pyramid or the most impoverished you know, four to five billion people on this planet. Wow, you said something key, which I was not aware of. And I think the number you quoted was between three and $8 a day. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's, it's, it's basically anything up to $8 a day. And okay, up to. we know that, you know, and that's why I said it's a very crude approach because that's a huge uh, segment that's very heterogeneous. So we just drop this simple term base of the pyramid. And, and sometimes it obscures the fact there's a lot of heterogeneity in this market. Um, but that's, you know, that's at least a framework that people can quickly think about and say, that's a lot of people. Um, now we got to, you know, think about how within that market we want to target it. But yeah, it's, it's up to $8 a day. Wow. So from a geographic perspective, because I just want to make sure our audience really understands, yeah. we're talking about four, or five, four to 5 billion people Mm -hmm. making less than or up to up to $8 per day. It's only 365 days in a year, y'all. So up $8 a day, 365 days, you're talking less than, what's that, less than $3,000 a year? 3000 yeah. Where would these people be geographically located? I, I, to, it, I, it's, um, and it's always a little bit of a moving target um, because, you know, you'll hear company countries saying, well, we lifted people out of poverty. Not, maybe I should highlight the difference between base of the pyramid and, and poverty in a moment. But you know, at, at the country level, probably the, the largest uh, might be China and India, maybe Indonesia. Obviously, so it's it's the developing world with the largest populations. You know, you know, the African continent with its many countries is also uh, a home to a lot of base of the pyramid and, and ventures that serve them as well. And then there are some in Latin America, um, you know, elsewhere in Southeast Asia, places like that. Wow. So you, you, you raised a great question. So what's the difference between poverty yeah. and base of the pyramid poverty? I don't know if I, yeah, I, don't know if I categorize good. that correctly. Yeah. So it's, it's always, I mean, so in there, are, there are always different lines, right? So this is really to some degree about trying to understand the lines people draw, right? So um, there, there is sort of the absolute poverty line, which is a little under $2 a day. Um, and sometimes when, when uh, we talk about uh, the development community talks about taking people out of poverty, it's, it's moving them above that line uh, to say $2 a day. Um, that's in some degree relatively arbitrary, although it was originally based on the, the amount of money you need to, to, uh, to purchase enough calories to survive. Um, uh, um, but you know, going from, I mean, it's all context dependent, you know, do you grow your own food? You know, are you in an urban setting? So there's always a lot of contingencies. Um, 
And I don't know that any, most would agree that because someone's made it to, to $2 a day or, or $2.10 a day that they're actually uh, out of poverty. So base of the pyramid uh, just happens to be a, a slightly different perspective that, that there seems to be, and this was originally developed, uh, at, originally the, the lines have moved around base of the pyramid, but settled on this and it was some work by the World Bank um, that really kind of landed on the, the $8 a day as being the appropriate um, number. But again, you could argue, well, it's it, it should be 825 or, you know, it, 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 you know, there isn't. And if you're running a business, um, you're not you're not checking income and saying, well, boy, you make more than eight dollars a day. I can't serve you. Right. One, you wouldn't be checking their income. And two, you wouldn't if you did check their income, you wouldn't be doing this. So don't we, the, the point is, don't get too hung up on the line. It's the fact there's an awful lot of impoverished people with with um, pretty low incomes on this planet. And they are not just, uh, they don't ne just need to be served by uh, donations. That markets already serve them, they just serve them inefficiently. Got it. What would you classify as a base of the pyramid impact enterprise? Yeah. So the, the way we've, we've or I've tried to, to address this, so this was in this book, you know, the base of the pyramid promise. Um, and, and the definition that I used uh, was really thinking about um, the idea that its goal is that it has to be um, at some level it has to seek profitability. It has to make economic sense. Uh, in this view, it also has to be about sort of achieving some level of sustainability at scale. And then finally, that it has a net positive impact on the impoverishment faced by the base of the pyramid. And, and the net positive, I think, is an important. Uh, aspect to highlight that um, pretty much any intervention has both positives and, and negatives. And for people, you know, I'm always curious, I've not found one yet in an intervention that's all positive. Right. Um, so, you know, the goal here is not to say that this is perfect, but on balance, it has a positive impact. And part of the, the work we do then is, is trying to understand, you know, where is it positive and how can we enhance it and where might it have negative impacts? And how do we mitigate those and really trying to understand that. So it becomes the idea of net positive being an important part of this as well. Wow. You know, when we first started this conversation, you talked about how the base of the pyramid companies, and I may be paraphrasing, seek to alleviate poverty. How do they do that? Yeah. So, I mean, and these are great questions. And as always a question kind of, you, know, you can go as deep as you want. Poverty is multidimensional, right? So, when we think about alleviating poverty, it's not just about generating income. It could be, you know, if you kind of use the Amartya Sen view, it could be about development as freedom and building people's capabilities. So there's there's economic well-being, there's there's capability well-being, and, and certainly part of poverty is being isolated, right? You could you could be isolated or excluded by gender, by caste, by race. There are a lot of other things. So, so people are impoverished in many dimensions. So what we what we are thinking about is um, do you really understand the impoverishment that a community faces and then, or an individual faces, and then how does the venture impact that? And it could be empowering women. So they could get more money, they could be empowered, but often with empowerment comes increased tension, either in the family or in society when, when roles are changing. So again, that's a negative. So we're trying to look at this net impoverishment and we, we're looking at it beyond uh, income. And uh, one thing that becomes uh, really important for 
you know, venture managers to understand is that impoverishment and measuring changes in impoverishment isn't just some development statistic that you're trying to report back to show how great you are. When you alleviate someone's impoverishment, you are creating value for them. You know, if you go back to the, you know, if you think about why do companies exist, um, they exist to create value of which then, you know, we can, we can talk about, you know, you know, capturing some of that value by pricing and then figuring out who gets the returns, which we can talk about, you know, some other point, you know, maximizing shareholder returns or what the right model is for, for dealing with profitability. But in the end, they have to create value. And for companies serving the base of the pyramid, they have to create value. And a really important way for them to create value is to alleviate impoverishment. So this becomes a clear understanding, you know, so it's not alleviating in poverty is not about just doing good. It's about how do we really understand our value proposition and how do we make it better? Um, and again, this is about enhancing the positive, mitigating the negative. Do you really have a viable value proposition? Because to, after you create value, you have to be able to capture some of that. And that's often through you know, the price you charge. And people have to be willing to pay for it. They have to see that they get more value than they give up. Wow. You know, when, when you talk about the base of the pyramid, I oftentimes, especially about the, in the markets in which you're serving, I oftentimes think about the NGOs. What is the role of the NGO, non-governmental organization, for those who that acronym may not be familiar? What is the role of the NGO in this equation? And we're good at dropping acronyms, aren't we? NGO, <laughs> we are. BOP, and all this, we have to be careful. <laughs> um, so, but, you know, so really what base the pyramid enterprises are, are they're market-based ventures, right? So they could, you know, there are a number of NGOs that now run market-based ventures. So they could, you know, also be a, a base of the pyramid enterprise. So it's not, it's not about a sector per se, where we would just say base of the pyramid enterprises are really just about, you know, you know, for-profit organizations. Um, so it, it, it goes across sector, but it also blends sectors. The, many of the most successful enterprises involve um, partners from multiple sectors. Companies are working with um, NGOs. The NGOs may help them identify, say the entrepreneurs they wanna work with on the ground. Um, they work with the development community maybe to get some funding. They, they might work with government um, to have access to, to certain resources. Um, so it really becomes a, 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 what we like to to call a partnership ecosystem where the, the enterprise uh, is working with a number of organizations. And I think we get into a, a, a problem or a trap when we start saying, well, either or, like it's either a business or it's government or it's NGO. I think solving impoverishment, having an impact is, a, is often about collaboration and blending sectors or crossing sectors. You know, how, how do the six, cause we talked about, you know, up to the $8 figure. Have you seen, you don't have to call names, but you just want to, um, have you seen examples where companies have truly been able to have sustainable profit, even with the lower cost threshold? Yeah, so uh, yes, um, there have been a number. The, the biggest challenge is, is to some degree is taking these models to scale. Um, where uh, the hard part is that what may work locally because it's fairly intensive um, in terms of resources doesn't scale as well. And, and that's what, you know, to me, that's the, 
that's, I don't want to say the holy grail, but that's what we're really um, looking towards. Because if you think about um, the fact there are billions of people that are impoverished in, in multiple dimensions, they may lack access to food or insufficient nutrition or energy or education or livelihoods um, or sanitation or clean water. You know, there, there are many um, in types of impoverishment uh, and there are many people facing them. So we need to think about enterprises that can scale in meaningful ways. Um, and that's the challenge. And we've seen a few uh, across some different sectors. Certainly, if you think about scale in the space, um, it, now you're seeing more and more access to mobile telephony, even in you know, fairly remote areas. So that's sort of the most typical um, example where uh, you know, 20 years ago at the turn of the century, it's been said that less than half the people on the planet had, had even made a phone call. And now, you know, access to phones, if not phones themselves, is fairly ubiquitous, right? Um, right. So that, you know, and so that's one that, that certainly scaled. You've certainly seen some in ag, like ITC in India, um, their Ichopal model, um, you know, and Copa in Kenya with um, sort of pay-as-you-go energy. Um, so, you, you know, Unilever and others with, you know, retail, fast-moving consumer goods. So you're, you're beginning to see scale across a number of sectors, but that's the trick, right? That's, the, that's where we gotta get to. We gotta get enterprises that can be sustainable at scale. And I don't know if I read one of your, I don't know if I read it in the book or if I read one of your articles and I'll throw out an example. I remember reading somewhere, I read a, a few of your things. Um, I think the example was used was Nike. Nike tried to mm. get at the base of the pyramid and they kind of, I'm going to say this so you don't have to, they kind of overshot. Can you kind of talk about how when companies see a need, they want to provide value, they come into a space, and then what are some of the challenges of really finding success in this space? That's a great question. And, and yeah, for Nike, it, I mean, to, to give them a lot of credit, they were an early um, pioneer in sort of recognizing that there, there might be a business opportunity in low-income markets. Um, they had, you know, this mainly in China, they had been um, manufacturing shoes for the wealthy. And, you know, the irony for them was the people that actually manufactured the shoes couldn't afford them. Um, and they said, maybe there's a market. And, and one of the signals for them was that there was a, there was a, a pretty large market for Nike shoe or shoes <clears throat> with a Nike brand on them, right? Which AKA counterfeit. Um, right. You know, so they, they, you know, and, and, and you know, you know, it's, it's maybe not the biggest or the greatest impact, but you know, providing footwear and things like that uh, can have an impact. And certainly, Bada and others have moved into this space since Nike with with sandals and other things. Um, but you know, for for Nike, um, their challenge, and, and for many companies, the, the challenge uh, is first is setting themselves up for success. Um, you know, there are some familiar things like you need to think about resources, you need to think about metrics, um, how you go about solving problems, the structure. So the, the big components are the same, but, but how you actually fill those components, like when you think about resources, you think, okay, the team, what actual talent do we need on this team to be successful? And too many enterprises collect a set of folks that are very talented, but they may not have the right portfolio of skills to actually execute in this model. You know, if we talk about partnerships, and we sort of said this earlier, they're important. Who on your team understands how nonprofits of the development community works and how can they talk to them? 
if we talk about base of the pyramid, who has some experience in, in learning about the base of the pyramid and engaging um, with them and others to, to co-create a solution? You know, what do the metrics really look like? Are we just plugging in some, some sort of formula that was either, you know, traditional corporate or, or, you know, imposed by our investors? You know, what's the right metric? How do we enable learning and innovation before we go to, to scale? So we're, we're, we're not scaling a flawed model. So, you know, right there, it becomes the first one. You know, how do you, um, how do you set yourself up for success? And then the next piece of it, um, and, and these are in, in this book, Base of the Pyramid Promise. Um, the next one is really thinking about scale. You know, how do you, how do you, what does co-designing with the base of the pyramid really mean? Um, how do you have effective pilots in a context like this? How do you avoid sort of the escalation of commitment where you're engaged in a community, but, you know, pilots are there to really about to learn. Um, so how do you continue to pivot and learn while having no negative impacts on that community or, or as minimal and as transparent as you possibly can? And then how, what's scale really mean? Um, what's competitive advantage in an informal economy? Um, and then what are the capabilities that you need to build so that you, when, you, when you scale, you can go from place to place and not be starting over. Um, so it's, it's scale. Then it's about, as we just talked about, um, how do we understand the value proposition? How do we understand the impoverishment and the impacts you're having on it? And then the last uh, is, is, at least in, in this book, uh, is thinking about how do we build the right ecosystem of partners? If we talk about partnering, it's not partnering with everyone, it's partnering with the right organizations and making those partnerships work over time. Um, so those become really, really critical aspects. And um, what you know, my goal is, um, you can't guarantee success, right? That, I mean, I don't, you know, I, I know there's some business gurus that keep saying, you know, you follow my one, you know, seven tricks and, and you're guaranteed to get the gold, but that's not true in, in really in the top of the pyramid. It's not true in the base of the pyramid, but the goal is we want to increase the likelihood of success. And just like, uh, you know, for those of you uh, who've had experience in business, you know, and, and in business schools that you're taught frameworks, right. orders by forces, you know, right. marketing. So here are the things that you need to think about, right? In, for example, something like Porter's Five Forces, you know, here are the forces, they all apply differently to you. So it's a, it's a standardized framework that's customized by the enterprise to the local context. So that's what this is really about is here are some standardized frameworks that you can customize to your local context. So you're thinking about the right things and not making mistakes you don't need to make. Uh, I think it's pretty hard to run a business and make no mistakes, but what you can do is minimize the mistakes that you are going to make and increase the likelihood of success. And that's the goal of this book um, in, in sort of the frameworks as we know now, known enough, like you said about Nikes and others that have made mistakes. And part of you know, the research we do is, is to look across successes and failures and try and understand what might predict success um, or what would minimize the likelihood of failure. Now, one of the things, I mean, you said a, said a lot there. I mean, that was, that was packed with information, but one of the things you kind of addressed was there's these business challenges and then there's development challenges. And then, you know, your book, one of the, one of the frameworks that really resonated with me was just co-creation, innovation, and then embedding. So can you kind of talk about the business challenges versus the development challenge and how that co-creation, or I think you called it the CIE, how that CIE model all kind of blends together? Yeah, so that the CIE model is really about how do you go to scale with this, right? And, and I think what, what you're highlighting is, is sort of a, a key aspect of the framework in, in sort of 
other parts of the book too, which is we tend to think of the business community does one thing, the development community does something else. Um, and what we need to think about is working together, they can get both get more of what they want than they, they could alone in many cases. So the idea is how can we build partnerships that work? And that's a big part of, of going to scale is, you know, it, it's, it, it's in informal context. So often there are institutions and other familiar things that may not be present. Um, or an, an infrastructure may not be present and, and you know, access to, to, to resources such as um, capital uh, for uh, entrepreneurs and others may not be present. Um, so the enterprise has to think more about what is it that, you know, given all the, the, you know, we have to think about running the enterprise and we may have to think about building the market around the enterprise at the same time. Um, and how do we begin to do that? What is it, you know, some companies uh, may say, we, and we've seen this, you know, um, we want to, you know, do everything. So we're an, we're an ag company. So we're going to, we're not only going to sell inputs to farmers, like seeds and fertilizer, we're also going to buy their output. Um, so you're kind of closing the loop. Uh, and and there's, obviously there's more to it than that, but you begin to think about thinking about the whole value chain. Uh, other enterprises may say, you know, we need, um, you know, for this to work, uh, we need to have microcredit available to finance, you know, maybe the, the, the initial uh, setup costs or something like this. Um, most companies really don't want to be into lending, right? There's a whole new set of working capital issues and it's a competency they may not be good at. So they may say, you know, to facilitate this, maybe we want to work with a microcredit institution or, or someone else uh, to make this work. So again, or, you know, often uh, if you think about something like, um, you know, clean water, right? So we say, well, people should have clean water. But if I were to hold up a glass of, of clean water and then, you know, take a glass from a well that, of dirty water or what we call dirty water, they don't look any different. Um, dirty water doesn't mean that it looks dirty. It's just got a lot of nasty pathogens and other things in it. So one of the challenges then is, is sort of identifying what's the benefit of clean water versus what people have traditionally uh, uh, had to drink. And, you know, even um, you may say, well, there's no one else providing clean water. Well, you still have competition, right? Which is uh, the status quo. And sometimes creating awareness about the benefits of clean water becomes a common good that anyone else could then um, expropriate when they arrive. So finding development partners who are willing to support the market creation side and highlight the value of clean water can go a long way to making a, a venture viable where they're, they're really focused on, you know, delivering the water, you know, building the model around it, but not necessarily uh, fully owning the market creation side of things. Um, does that, does that uh, kind of dovetail into the BMI? I think that was business model integration. Did I get yeah. the acronym right? Yeah. Yeah. So again, we're stuck on all the acronyms. So probably it, it probably dovetails a little more into the partnership ecosystem framework. Okay. There's really three frameworks, right? There's the BMI, which is about how do you set yourself business model innovation? How do you set yourself up to innovate uh, when you get started? There's the, the CIE, the uh, co-create and uh, innovate embed, which is really about strategies for going to scale. There's the impact assessment framework, which is really about understanding your value proposition from the perspective of the base of the pyramid. And then there's the partnership ecosystem framework, which is saying, look, we've talked a lot about engaging with partners. How should we think about this strategically? What, what are the, you know, how do we have a strategic way of thinking about the appropriate partners and, and our gaps and how do we go about doing this? 
So maybe th this fits lat most likely into the partnership ecosystem framework where we got to think about what do we need to do to build out the enterprise? Um, and then what might need to be done to build out and support the market around the enterprise to, to facilitate that. And, and it's not unheard of, right? Um, in the developed world, um, you know, when, when the iPhone was first launched, no one knew what that was. So they had to kind of create a market for this and they've been, they had a lot of money and they, they were pretty darn successful, right? But so the idea of, you know, sort of market creation isn't just a base of the pyramid phenomenon, but it is something that enterprises need to think about. And a lot of times the market awareness they want to create, um, such as clean water or, or, or enhanced sanitation or, or washing hands with soap are really important development initiatives too. Um, so you can see how these might align together. How does BOP, based on the pyramid, how does it work in conjunction with, say, like a strategy like Blue Ocean, which looks at value innovation? Yeah, that's a match that I haven't necessarily uh, given a lot of thought to. So this will be a, a tricky answer other than, um, you know, part of base of the pyramid is sort of thinking about because it's not a, a Blue Ocean in, in the sense that there's nothing there. But what's there may be really inefficient. Um, many people have heard of the microcredit revolution, um, where a lot of organizations came in and said, you know, a way to promote development is to give people access to lower cost, low cost capital in small amounts, right? Hundred dollars here to, to do this. But that didn't mean that there weren't um, existing lenders uh, already serving that community, but they may not have offered interest rates or had um, return policies that we considered to be particularly um, appropriate, let's say, right? So they were there, but they had their own monopolies, right? And just because they're a local business doesn't mean they were, they were doing well by their, their local community members. So they could be highly extractive, very high interest rates, um, and then putting people in a real bind in terms of their ability to pay off. And, and a lot of times this would be for farmers and people like that, that they would need to borrow money at the beginning of the season and then pay it back at the end of the season. And then they would, you know, they would be very much in a bind. So there'd be a lot of uh, market power for the lenders versus the borrowers. And sometimes it's, it's not just blue ocean where there aren't any uh, existing businesses, but there's an opportunity to, if you will, create more value and have a positive uh, po poverty impact by entering this space. Wow. You know, I read a paper, which I, I don't think you wrote it. I think someone took your work and kind of tried to extend it. But are you familiar with the term BOP 1.0, And I kind of want to hear, I mean, you, you wrote the book. So kind of what is your perspective, like the next iteration of Base of the Pyramid? Yeah, it's a good question. So yeah, I've seen that. Um, and the, the, the correct point, which is really important, is like many ideas, uh, there's improvement over time. Right. Um, so, you know, the, the, and a lot of people heard about base experiment early on and they sort of said, well, it's really about selling, you know, small sachets of goods to, to the poor. And that was one small part of it, um, you know, because there's all kinds of other things. There's, there's enterprises that, that address uh, uh, education, secondary and, and primary education in Kenya you know, sanitation, uh, clean water, all the things. So they're, you know, energy, you know, mobile telephony. Um, so, so there are many, many aspects of this. So part of it was just sort of thinking about what is a, what is a BOP enterprise? And then there was a lot about um, how do we, and some of the things I've talked about, how do we begin to think more about 
the strategies behind these enterprises and what we, you know, how do we effectively uh, um, increase the likelihood of success? So people have kind of used numbers um, to sort of say it's an evolution in thinking. And I think that's correct. Although uh, the, the core ideas I think remain the same, which is that it's really an enterprise that's focused on serving this BOP segment. Uh, which of course is extraordinarily diverse, right? I mean, I think we highlighted that, right? It's 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 urban, it's rural, it's across different geographies. So it's um, there's a lot to it. But I, I think the evolution and thinking maybe has changed a little bit. I mean, one of the the things that 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 we really uh, thought a lot about was originally there was this idea that um, we could find a fortune at the base of the pyramid. So it was, it was about this. There's a fortune there waiting to be found and it's at the base of the pyramid and to me that that was problematic in two ways one was it's assuming something's there already and we just got to go we got to be you know smart enough to see it and find it and then it, it, it objectifies a group of people when you start saying at somewhere right that i can go take me to the base of the pyramid. show me that geographic place right there isn't a place there is no at um so we really said you know a better way to think about this is creating a fortune with the base of the pyramid. Wow. Wow. And the creation moves it to say it may not exist already. So it doesn't mean it's not, you know, it, it doesn't mean, um, it's like the iPhone again. What, what was the market for the iPhone when, uh, you know, when it was first launched and it was zero, right? It wasn't a market, but they created a market for it. Um, and the same for a lot of, of BOP activities, you know, there, you know, some initiatives say offer crop insurance. What was the market for crop insurance before we started zero? Because right. no one had it. So we're gonna create something that doesn't exist already. That's really important rather than trying to find something that's already there. And then with the base of the pyramid, they have to be partners in this, right? They are our colleagues, advisors, um, and experts in this space. And we have to do it with them, not at them. Um, so maybe that would be, you know, to me, that was an important evolution in kind of the overall framing of the domain. Um, and maybe that was, you know, that's kind of what we called the transition to, to 2.0 is the, the reframing of this. Got it. You know, one of the things that I was, when I was taking, when I was reading the book, one of the things I thought about was, wow, how much of this is actually transferable to the develop, developmental world, yeah. if, especially from a perspective of market development. You cited an example earlier, like iPhone. Yeah, I, I think there's a fair amount that, that is transferable. I mean, the, the, the focus here is, is building better businesses. But a lot of this, I think, also transitions to... Um, building better development projects. Um, certainly not, do you have the right talent? You know, have you set yourself up for success? Are you asking the right, the, you know, the right question? So that bit, certainly the, the understanding the value creation, the positives and negatives becomes very applicable. You know, if it's a partnership model, thinking about, about that. Um, and then the, even the design, you know, the, this idea of going from, um, uh, 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 co-creation to innovation to embed, um, while you're not thinking about maybe competitive advantage, you are thinking about a path to scale and making sure you're checking the boxes. So I think the translation is, is, is very uh, applicable and I think very important uh, for that community. But again, the book is written um, for business, Correct. social entrepreneurs, BOP enterprise leaders that are really interested in, in doing this. But again, a lot of these development organizations are also thinking about market-based approaches as a complement um, to their own uh, kind of more traditional philanthropic or, or should I say grant-based approaches. Um, Very true.
very, very, very true. You know, this, 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 this was a, this was a, a great book. Um, and the thing I think that I did not understand, so I like to hear your perspective. What when you say development? For those, you know, when people think about development, you always think about the humanitarian. But when you talk about development from a base of a pyramid perspective, what do you, what are you meaning? Yeah. And, and I should even take a step back and just be clear that uh, I'm not espousing that business is better than, you know, existing philanthropic, you know, grant-based uh, programs or, you know, often projects, right? They set up a project. It's, it's for a specific light. It ends. Um those can be amazingly effective. So it's not an either or world. The question is, can we add more tools to our toolkit if we're a development perspective, right? Um, you know, grants can do lots of things, but they have limitations. Enterprises can do lots of things, but they have limitations. Together, they can do some different things, but they have limitations. So it's not um, in any way suggesting that um, one should dominate the other, but we should have, you know, a full set of tools to consider. Uh, in this space. And the idea of development is, is more centered around, you know, can we um, reduce the impoverishment within a country, right? So we're not talking about trade and things like that that are maybe at the country level. We're thinking about within a country, how do we respond to inequities that occur? At least that's how I think about it. Um, and, and, you know, and from an enterprise perspective, what, what it does besides the idea that maybe you're doing something good, this is also, you know, a market opportunity now and in the future. I mean, as enterprises think about where the markets of the future going to be, to to not at least consider the majority of the world, um, both for opportunities now and in the future, is is you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't fit for every enterprise, but it's worth considering for many. You know, do we want do we want to reach out? Do we want to serve uh, other markets? I got one final question for you. So we got a diverse audience. We got listenership all over. We got actually got, I think I've looked at the numbers today. We might have listeners in 15 countries now. So for an entrepreneur or a business who decides I want to create social impact in a, somewhere outside of my zip code, what would they, what would be an initial, what would their team, what would a potential, I want to do this. I don't quite know how, what, who, what roles would they hire to help them kind of start making that transition into becoming a social entrepreneurial venture. Yeah, so I mean, so I'm gonna assume we have someone with passion that really wants to make an impact and maybe, you know, say, yeah, let's let's do it in a low income setting. Um, I think the first thing they need to do is to get immersed in the context. This applies to both innovating the business model and innovating any, any product. A lot of you know, people say, well, I can, innovate something in, in the US or the UK or, or Europe or Japan. And then of course, because it, it's, you know, meets these US, Europe, Japan standards, it's gonna be great. Uh, and what they're missing is the, the desire for functionality is quite different. What functionality do people really want? What are they gonna pay for? What's most important? So I think being first being immersed in the context is, is becomes critically important. So you really understand and you can get the perspective of the base of the pyramid. They're not someone you're there to help. There's someone that's there to, to, to collaborate with. And by collaboration, that means about respect. And that means you have to listen and you have to be uh, engaged in deep listening and understanding. And, and this, you know, one of the things that I think people say, well, when will I be ready? And, you know, an answer is when you can ask really good questions. Mm. Um, because asking good questions means you've been listening first. 
and then you're processing and asking. That's when you're starting to get ready because you realize what you don't understand. And then you ask questions and you're starting to fill in the fill in the gaps and get the real good information. And that takes some, that just takes some time to listen, to learn, to understand, to engage. Um, and you can do that yourself, or you could, you know, build a team around that. Um, but I think if you're the leader and the entrepreneur, you need to have that experience yourself as well. And then you can begin to understand, okay, given all these things, what's the other talent that I need in this context to be successful? Wow. That's, that's, that's powerful. That's powerful. This book really revolutionized my perspective on this market that I did not even realize exists. I mean, we have heard about the brick countries, you know, and emerging markets, but really seeing and understanding the level of impact on the ground was quite eye-opening. So I appreciate your contribution to the space and what you've done. You've worked hard. You've got lectures all over YouTube that I've watched and I find the information quite, quite um, enlightening and very practical. So thank you. Curtis, thank you. It's, it's a pleasure talking to you and I appreciate the opportunity to, to share. Um, thanks. Well, well thanks, um, Ted. I'm sure our audience got something out of this conversation. I encourage you all to go pick up at least one, if not both, of Ted's book, The Base of the Pyramid Promise. That's the book I kind of cut my teeth on. And uh, I have been completely enlightened and truly went through a mental transformation and trying to figure out how I now can try to potentially serve the base of the pyramid as well. Thanks, Curtis, and I look forward to staying in touch. Let's do it. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Business Theologist Podcast. Please share, subscribe, and rate this podcast so others can find us too. If you would like to connect with me, please use the links in the show notes of this episode. Please feel free to connect with me on social media as well. I welcome the opportunity to connect and hear from you. Have a blessed week. Until next time.